And so I went from like no knowledge of any of this stuff to playing with Metasploit and Metropiter, you know, attacking old XP images on in VMs and just being able to learn so much in that short time. And what seemed like black magic that suddenly had me like, oh, it's really not that hard. I immediately fell in love with it. I'm Eamon Elswa, and this is Getting Into InfoSec. My guest this week is David Scribonia. David is a creator contributor of the Zap Proxy Heads Up Display. It's a UI tool to make your proxy life easier. I wish this tool was out a long time ago. David has always been a builder. He even built an electric car with his dad. He walks us through his journey in InfoSec, where he talks about an internship where he was left to fend for himself. And I was like, I know nothing about computer networks. Okay. As they're old, go read man pages, go Google. I was like, all right. And so I spent this summer teaching myself TCP and all of those basics and ended up building out a couple of Android applications, actually. He also mentions how contributing to an open source project has helped him tremendously and can help you. Well, I found surprising from going not being involved in these projects to being involved is by how few people manage to maintain these things and how big of an impact you can have. With all his talent, even David struggles with imposter syndrome. Don't underestimate yourself. I know I personally have had like a lot of trouble with like the imposter syndrome aspect of it. All right, on to the show. Hey, David, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Doing all right. All right. So David, tell us about what you do today in the information security realm. Yeah. So I do security engineering at a company called Segment in the Bay Area. And Segment uh, is a tool for uh, consumer analytics to help companies understand their customers. And working on the security engineering team, uh, it's a combination of application security, cloud security, and product security. We kind of just mash all those responsibilities into one team, and there's about five of us on it. Okay, well, that's a lot of responsibilities. And what do you focus on primarily? I have more of an application security background, but learning a lot more about those other two disciplines as well. Mm -hmm. So would you say like, you know, as far as percentage in a month or in a week, where's your percentage? Um, probably like 60% AppSec, 40% like cloud security. Okay. We're starting to mix in our product security projects right now. And my coworker has been working on some cool projects in that area. But so far, I've mainly focused on those two things. Okay. So what does an application security engineer focus on? Like walk through some, you know, a day in the life of David, for example. Yeah. Pick any day you want. <laughs> yes, yeah, so application security, we're focused on protecting our web application. And it's interesting that people can approach, I think, that role from a lot of different angles. Like some people think it means spinning up SAST and DAS tools and getting results and feeding that out. Mm -hmm. But our security program started just over a year ago. Okay. And so we've been focusing a lot on how we can embed security, not only in the culture of our engineering teams, but then also providing secure by default tools, a lot of developer training, and then also figuring out how we're going to scale things like vulnerability triage, you know, bug bounty program and things like that, really putting like a base layer down. Okay. That's a lot to deal with. This is your first job out of college. Is that right? Yeah. First full time. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So <laughs> walk us through like how you got into information security. Yeah. I think it's interesting. There's a lot of people in InfoSec, definitely a lot of people I respect who had, I think it's like that really cool gritty InfoSec background, right? Like they started in IT or 
you know, they're playing in terminals when they were six, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. I mean, I got into computers mainly when I was in high school okay. through our AP computer science class. Okay. I was fortunate enough to have a great professor to teach us that stuff. But I mean, at that point, it was Windows, Java, and Swing, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't those typical skills you need for InfoSec. Yeah. Okay. And before that, you really weren't tinkering with computers at home primarily? I enjoyed playing on them. Right. Did some like lightweight stuff. I mean, I think I played a little bit of basic, but I was most interested in architecture. And my dad is a mechanical engineer by trade. So did a lot of like building in the garage. Okay. So you did a lot of building in the garage. What are some cool projects you built in the garage? Uh, That's actually a good question. For my first car, we were thinking about fixing something up, getting something beat up and fixing it up because my dad has been working on cars for a while. But we decided to actually build an electric car. Oh, nice. And so there's this kit you can buy online and, you know, you get this forklift motor and you just get a bunch of batteries and it's like some super loose instructions on how it's supposed to be wired together. <laughs> and so we got this uh, super beat up Porsche 914 for a couple hundred bucks what? out of some guy's backyard. Wow. And it's a perfect car for it because it's got a mid engine. Oh. And so you actually have a front trunk and a back trunk, which you fill with 15 golf cart batteries. Nice. <laughs> <Man>. Nice. <laughs> And you wire all those together, take the engine out, put the electric motor right into the tranny. And uh, yeah, so that was one of our bigger projects we did. And uh, my dad has been using it for a commuter car for uh, quite a few years. That's now. amazing. It's still running. Yeah. Yeah. Still running. Still good to go. He's uh, replacing the batteries now. But yeah, it's pretty funny. He's been, if people in town see him zip around. That's awesome. Doing that, it probably taught you, probably gave you a little bit of the engineering mindset, would you say? Did that help influence you, you know, in what you decided to do, I guess, in college or afterwards? Oh, yeah, I think so. A lot of times my dad would want to build things in the garage and teach me how to use different tools. And one of the things that I was always doing in high school was the science fair. And we'd always do the Rube Goldberg machines. Are you familiar with those? Walk us through that. Rube Goldberg machine is supposed to be this like intentionally elaborate contraption to do some simple tasks. So it might be something like write a note and put it in an envelope, but you'd create this series of, you know, 20, 30, 40 steps with like marbles falling down and spinning other things and knocking down other things that kind of make this simple process extremely complex, I guess. So yeah. me and my friends are always kind of building those sort of things, you know, looking around the garage, what things can we strap together, spin in a weird way to make these things work. Okay. That's pretty cool. And were you ever, as a younger child, reluctant to work on some of these projects? I don't think so. I mean, I was always interested in building things one way or another. Okay. So fast forwarding, you know, so you did some computers in high school and then what did you do? Did you go to college? Yeah. So I went to school at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo Mm -hmm. and went in as a computer engineering. So it's like half computer science and half hardware. Okay. Thinking at the time I wanted, you know, because I was kind of like playing with my hands, I wanted to do more hands-on stuff and quickly fell in love with the coding side as a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And while I was going to there, there was this guy, John Wright from Raytheon who came one weekend and he was hosting a full weekend, three days, hands-on workshop on intro to hacking. Oh, wow. And I had to check it out. Okay. And what did they cover there? It was awesome. It was the full range. I mean, it was working in a lot of the information warfare stuff for Raytheon. And so I went from like no knowledge of any of this stuff to playing with Metasploit and Meterpreter, you know, attacking old XP images on MVMs and just being able to learn so much in that short time. And what seemed like black magic suddenly had me like, oh, that's really not that hard. I immediately fell in love with it. Nice. And before that, were you ever exposed to cybersecurity or InfoSec? Not really. Okay. I mean, the closest thing to it was creating those little like replicating batch files and making one of your friends open it so it would crash their computer. 
<laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, cool. So now you took this like interesting cybersecurity boot camp, you know, or crash course, I guess. And this is what, like halfway through your schooling, maybe? Uh, yeah, it must have been towards the end of my freshman year. Oh, wow. Okay. So is it correct to assume you just started focusing on that and you kind of wanted to pursue that as a career or walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, I immediately fell into it. And I was I was fortunate enough to attend Cal Poly on a scholarship. And part of the scholarship was that it was put together by this group of people in various engineering disciplines. And one of the guys, he was the CEO for this company called Parsons. And a subsidiary of Parsons is the cybersecurity firm. And so when I mentioned I was interested in this, he passed my resume along and I worked at this company called Sparta a government contractor. Okay. And yeah, that was quite an experience getting into the government contracting world and the world of security clearances. It was out in Virginia. Oh, okay. And so they weren't really used to having an intern program per se. So when I was there, it was like a lot of older folks. Hey, like, what are you working on? Like just trying to be friendly and like learn things. Like, yeah. You know, why, why are you asking? <laughs> hey, man, I'm, you're so paranoid. I'm just curious. Like, like yeah, I, I don't know. I was like, okay. That's hilarious. <laughs> and so you're this kid intern at this company that doesn't really have a formal intern program. And you're just trying to, how did you get by? I mean, did you just have to make up something to do or what? It was interesting because... I mean, still super new to computer science and without like this, like this background in it. So, you know, they wanted me to start doing some network stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I know nothing about computer networks. Okay. As they're old, go read man pages, go Google. I was like, all right. And so I spent this summer teaching myself TCP and all those basics and ended up building out a couple of Android applications, actually. Mm. One to work with the PCAP library and you plug in a Wi-Fi card into the, like an Android tablet. And then it was just doing uh, packet sniffing. But as far as these guys were concerned, there was no, you know, Android app out there doing that yet because no one had just bothered to take the PCAP library and put it into an Android package. Wow. Okay. So you're talking about like a USB Wi-Fi card? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And this is what year? Now, what year are you in school at this point? This would be the summer of my second year. Okay. And so I was working on that project and then worked on another one, some training software for military running drills and it would kind of show GPS dots along the map which is pretty neat. Okay. But yeah, definitely showing the wireless sniffing on Android tablet was a pretty cool project to work on just going from not knowing networks to now just like watching traffic flow by. Certainly like an, it was a huge learning experience for sure. Yeah. So you went from not knowing TCP IP <laughs> to <laughs> building a packet sniffer in one summer. <laughs> was that just yeah, all was... YouTube or like was it? <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading a lot of not pretty docs. Uh, so I think it was quite a few old documents, quite a few man pages, and definitely some help from the people there for sure. Okay. Yeah. Do you think it's much easier these days, even just a few years, the amount of, you know, how to learn that right now, the resources available? Like I had to learn like from now from blank? Yeah. Like if you had to do the same thing now, what would you do? Oh, man. Yeah, I guess I would start Googling and asking friends. Yeah. <laughs> I guess luckily now I do know a lot more people in the community, which is you know, a great resource. Right. But a lot of the folks out there are still just getting in, right? They're just starting from Google, right? Right. Well, anyway, that's cool. So now you're a sophomore. And so, you know, let's go through college real quick. Like, you know, walk us through some of the next steps until you were graduating and like kind of looking for a job. Yeah. I was super fortunate that I think it was after that summer, our school hired a 
a professor just dedicated to security for the first time. Oh, wow. Okay. And so being interested in that, going up and asking, you know, what classes are going to be offered. And he recommended I actually take Dan Bonet's cryptography class on Coursera. Oh, yeah. So it was just free online. Yeah. And he mentioned that, oh, and I'll, I'll help you through it. I'll give you some exercises on top of it, but do that and I'll give you credit for it. And I was like, oh, fantastic. So, wow. Yeah. And that's it. So I guess you're mentioning if, you know, you didn't know anything, you're trying to get in. Coursera is a fantastic resource. And specifically for interested in cryptography, Dan Bonet's course is phenomenal. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, did that, started working with him on developing some labs. And it was another example of not knowing simple things and kind of learning them was that the professor wanted me to create some labs with just a basic server, right? And so he says, oh, can you set up a server, you know, with some Git and post uh, endpoints? I was like, what's Git? What's post? What do you mean? And you know, he kind of looked at me like, what do you mean? Like, you don't know HTTP? And I'm like, no, sir, I don't. <laughs> like, I'm, I've never been taught this. I don't know. I know TCP IP back and forth, but... <laughs> <laughs> right, which is super interesting. Yeah. Okay. And so it's like, I don't know how to set the server. And so going from, again, from zero to being like, oh, that's how a web server works. It's just a program and it just listens on these like silly protocols, like not that hard. Okay. Before you know it, right? Like it seems so daunting. Right. Like what actually happens, right? When you press, you know, google.com, right? That whole question. Exactly. Okay. So you did that project. Now you're learning web. Okay. So you have TCP IP. Right. Uh-huh. Learning web and got really into that. And then I worked for an internship at a company called MindBody. They're a mobile app and a web app for booking like yoga classes and gym studio stuff. Okay. And I was the uh, first intern there on the security program. And that's where I learned all my AppSec chops and definitely kind of started honing in on that field and security. Okay. And you started, is that because you just liked it? You found it easier? What was it attracted you to AppSec? The role became available, which I think what initially pulled me into it. But then once I got into it, I think just because apps are so complex and always so public facing, mm-hmm. I find the security issues with them so interesting. I mean, there's an infinite number of business logic issues that can be described, right? And there's just so much attack surface there. I think something about that really caught my eye. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, you're kind of seeing the lines in the matrix behind this browser, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, what was this black box? Now you could read the code of what you're interfacing every day in the browser, right? 100%. Cool. And it was cool there. I mean, that's when I started understanding all the intricacies of XSS and Mm -hmm. one of the things they're working on because they were at .NET, but before that, like an ASP shop. Oh. And so they were transitioning out of like old school ASP written by two, uh, you know, business folks in a garage that turned into this full company. Yeah. They're working on converting this, you know, over to .NET, but there's still a lot of legacy stuff in there. And so like the XSS protections and libraries are so much different than what I'm used to now, which is, you know, you use React and you can forget about so many things, right? Because you have automatic output encoding. Okay. Well, can you explain that for us? Yeah. Why is React better or why is what you mentioned better than anything else like, you know, PHP or whatever it is, maybe? Right. I mean, PHP is the worst example I know, but that's why I chose it. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, with cross-site scripting, the best way to prevent that attack from occurring is to encode your output. And so what that means is that when the browser gets all the code that you send it, all the HTML, any user information that's being rendered in there, you want to be um, encoded in a way that the browser doesn't interpret it as code, but instead interprets it as text. And so a lot of languages, you kind of have to do this yourself. Every time a user says, here's my name, you need to properly encode this thing before you display it on the website, or else if they put, you know, some script tags in there, your browser will think it's code and run some JavaScript. So with React, because it's this framework, 
it actually manages a ton of this for you. Hmm. By default, when you take any user input and you throw it into a React app, it's going to automatically encode that for you, which just reduces XSS exponentially. Like you really have to punch holes in the React framework for these XSS issues to occur. Cool. That brings up a question I'd like to ask if we have time. Yeah. About like, you know, as applications are getting more secure, is it harder and harder now to find bugs in them and significant vulnerabilities? Definitely not. <laughs> I think with modern languages and frameworks, we can solve classes of bugs, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Like those protections should be built into modern frameworks, SSS. But as our stack evolves, so do the challenges. And so even though we lose those things like server side request forgery, SSRF, is becoming much, much more prevalent. Hmm. Everyone kind of moving towards the cloud and a lot more distributed systems and microservices and things like that. Okay, that's good to know. Those trying to break into the field, looking to learn, could get discouraged that a lot of these security frameworks are built into the languages and just wanted to kind of set it straight there. So that and I'll say, I don't know the percentages, especially because I like live in the bubble of the Bay Area, but there are still a lot of old tech running. Right. There's still a lot of companies not using, you know, these frameworks. Me and my coworkers on the security team say, you know, we're kind of in a privileged position, right? We've got one application and it's, you know, in modern languages. And you know, we'll talk to some of our some of our friends in the industry and you know, they're working at places where they have hundreds of applications all running, you know, older code bases that are just, you know, littered with these kind of issues. So still plenty of opportunities out there. The world will will be a long time before the world's perfect and secure. Okay, okay. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said about the bubble of the Bay Area. So yeah, there's definitely something to be said about that. Cool. So let's fast forward to David that's graduating now. Walk us through like how are you able to find a job, interviews, maybe some interviews that didn't go so well. Yeah. I'll definitely start off with a bad interview story. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> One of my, I had an internship in high school and as a part of that project, I wrote an insane VB script on the backside of Excel. There's this engineer there who wasn't doing computer stuff by trade and hacked together this script and it would take 16 minutes to run and it would take all these inputs in this field and create this like 400 page pdf wow. it was like this insane block of code okay and so i went in there you know cleaned it up sped it up so it run you know quickly but part of that was changing some of the sql queries and all i was doing was kind of copying pasting tweaking and this was all of my sql experience still through like going into college i mean i just never had a project where i was playing with that stuff yeah but being a very naive young professional, I put on my resume that I knew SQL because I had played with it once a long time ago. <laughs> and I went to an interview and they started asking me some SQL questions and clearly just not knowing it. And uh, it was like halfway through the interview when they said, okay, we're going to stop this interview right now just so we can start giving you some lessons. You need to clean these things up. Don't put things on here that you don't know. And I remember being so mortified and like, <laughs> oh my God, like how can I do this? Like, like, of course, like that makes sense at the time, right? You just, like, you got to put everything on the resume, right? You have to make it. Yeah, that was brutal. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but they took the time to at least, you know, educate you, I guess, or kind of help you work on your resume. Oh, yeah. I mean, I appreciate that. I mean, getting I mean, up to that point, just having no professional experience and having the perspective of what that looks like from the interviewer side. And nowadays, I mean, that makes a lot more sense to me having interviewed people where it's, I care less about a long list of items on a resume. Mm -hmm. And really, it's just going to be a few projects that you've worked on and then like passion for it. Like those two things, it's like, okay, like you've got interest, like you know what you're talking about. You're not trying to like, trying to say you know more than you do. And 
those are the only things I think are really that important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well said. Any other interesting interviews? I think that was definitely the worst one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then as I was getting ready to graduate, I decided to do this four plus one program at Cal Poly. So stayed to get my master's degree and spend one more year doing just security stuff. Oh, nice. Okay. You got to work on projects and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And so before that, actually, I did a summer at Raytheon internship there. It was through this original guy, John Wright, who had done the workshop, really got me into InfoSec. Mm. And uh, he'd come back, I asked him and an internship there. And I got to spend the whole summer they, they put a DJI drone on my desk and said, hack this. Oh, nice. Nice. And so it was a lot of fun finding, you know, the developer port in there and finding out that their encrypted communications were this like home-baked like encoding system. And so it was a lot of fun playing with that. And they gave us two drones. And so we flew them both up and strapped a Wi-Fi pineapple to one just okay. basically to have the Wi-Fi card on it. But then because they were using these, you know, pseudo encrypted communications, send it information to say, you know, head to this GPS point, which was like longitude, latitude, but also altitude. So you say, go to altitude, negative 400. And then the other one would just like go straight down and crash. No way. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's cool. For that interview too, I actually did forgot. This one is arguably worse. Oh, okay. When it was me and another kid from school, we went down there for this interview and they told us to get a rental car. And so they put us in this hotel and we're driving to the interview, which I put in my GPS, right? And it says it's like a few blocks away. It's like, that makes sense. And the other kid I'm with, he's, he puts in his GPS and goes, oh, whoa, like this is like 10 miles away. And like, we're in traffic. It takes 30 minutes to get there. And you know, we're 15 minutes, like supposed to be getting interviewed. We go, oh no, right? And I got panicked. So we turn, we get on the freeway and you know, we were in El Segundo. So we hop on the freeway and this is in LA uh-huh. and we're driving and uh, we go to the freeway and we go to the address and we look and it's this like beat up old apartment building. I'm like, what? What? And we look up and it says Compton. And we're like, this can't be correct. And then my phone dies and both our phones are dead. Or, and all of a sudden like, we're in Compton, our phones are dead and we are 30 minutes late to our interview. Boy. And I was like, oh God. And so <laughs> we worked our way back to the highway, drove until we saw the large Raytheon sign on a building. <laughs> and then made it <laughs> navigate our way to there, managed to find the office, get in. And there was a couple other people interviewing for this internship as well. And I guess all we had missed is they had this group like hour long, like intro. So we didn't end up missing anything. And luckily these people were good sports that we told them the story. They just thought it was hysterical and uh, just kind of made fun of me all summer for it. Because <laughs> of course the place was three minutes away from our hotel. That's hilarious. <laughs> At least you got it though, right? <laughs> yeah, that was extremely fortunate. I'm glad they had a good sense of humor or else that would not have gone over well. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, yeah. And then what about when you finally got the job that you have now? So how is that? interview process? The interview process for this one was pretty interesting. And this is where I think with all those things I've been working in the security industry, but I didn't really feel a part of any security community. Mm -hmm. And when I was working on my master's thesis, I stumbled across the app sensor project. Have you heard of the app sensor project? No, go ahead. Explain it for the audience. OWASP app sensor project is an application layer intrusion detection system, which is a really fancy way of saying that uh, it was a way to kind of monitor your web application. Mm-hmm. And so the way it'd work is you put these little snippets of code in interesting parts of your server. 
So, you know, on failed login attempts, for example. Right. And it would just send kind of requests to this app sensor server you're running. It would say, hey, someone failed to log in. But you could build these things and say, you know, someone failed to log in 10 times in a minute. Like, you should probably get alerted about that. Mm-hmm. And someone across this project contributed to it. It was an open source project. And it was the guy who was running that project, John Melton, who really introduced me to a lot of people in the industry. And one of them, he said, you know, you should just video chat with this guy, Justin Collins. And I said, sure. And Justin Collins is the creator of Breakman Pro, the Ruby static analysis tool. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so not really knowing anyone, I just, hey, Justin, how's it going? Just trying to meet people. And then he was working at SurveyMonkey and he ended up hosting some security event he was hosting. I was like, great, I should probably go meet some more people. And I see this guy, Evan Johnson, talk. Mm-hmm. And he was the first employee, a security engineer at Segment. Mm-hmm. And that's where I currently work. And so it was meeting him at this meetup through someone I met from an open source project that ended up landing me where I am now. I met with him and he said, yeah, give me a call and let's do an interview. Nice. Networking, right? At the end of the day. Yeah, networking and the open source community. I have nothing but good things to say about the open source community. It's certainly led to where I am now, for sure. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Speaking about open source, you know, one of the big things you've created lately is the heads-up display for Zap Proxy. So first of all, walk us through what it is, really brief, because there's a lot of videos about it online. But more importantly, how did you come up with this, and when did you start work on this project? Yeah, so Zap Attack Proxy, if someone's not familiar, it's a tool which you proxy your traffic from a browser running on your computer to some server. And you can use this to do a bunch of application security testing. But the hassle with it is that you've got this, you know, swing application open on one side on your desktop and your browser open on another. You're kind of going between the both of them, like intercept HTTP requests and do these other things. And so the heads up display for Zap takes all that functionality and puts it right in the browser. So the idea is that you'll have your browser open to the application that you want to test. And you'll have these buttons kind of appear on the left and right side of the screen. And you can interact with these buttons to trigger things like spidering your site or fuzzing certain forms. It essentially makes your life easier, whatever you are, QA, pen tester, bug bounty hunter, right? Exactly. Yeah. One of the motivations for the project Mm -hmm. was that we want developers to be able to use security tools, but it's such a hassle for even security professionals to use some of these tools because they're just not really built with user experience first. It's like, why would we expect, you know, asking a developer, hey, can you run this before, you know, you finish your test? It seems unfair. And so we wanted to design this so that whether you were new to security, whether you're a developer, your QA, um, whatever your needs were, we wanted this to be a low floor way to start getting involved in testing your application. Okay. And when did you actually start working on this? From my perspective, this actually started back in school. Mm-hmm. Me and a couple of friends were, you know, we had a project for class and we wanted to create this vulnerability visualizer, right? We wanted to kind of just highlight forms in a web page that you could attack with um, or that you might want to attack. And we worked on it for a little while. I mean, it was really ugly looking and didn't really do a whole lot. Um, Mm -hmm. But there was the Google Summer of Code, this program where you can submit an idea to an open source project. And if they pick your idea, they'll give you a small grant to work on it. And so I took this idea and I submitted it to the OWASP Zap project. And it was funny because the lead of that project, Simon Bennett's, didn't end up picking my projects. He had some other stuff he wanted to do, but he reached out to me and said, it's funny that you brought us this idea because I've actually had a similar idea for a while. But we haven't been able to get it off the ground. Hmm. And he shared this small repo with me where he had this proof of concept, which is 
looks surprisingly similar to the heads-up display you can see today, okay. but with almost no functionality. I mean, the buttons were there, you could trigger some things, and from there, that was two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. From there, we've been working together, working through iterations, and been able to build it out to what it is today. Nice. Okay. And how has the reaction been from the community? A lot of positive reactions, a lot of great feedback from people who think they'll be able to use this. Mm-hmm. The problem we're trying to solve seems to be pretty well received, whether it's you know developers saying, oh, I never want to use these tools, or even just like everyday pen testers saying, I hate these interfaces. This is so much better. And we're still working on getting it to that point where we can feel really comfortable with its reliability. On certain sites, I mean, it works like a charm, and on others, it doesn't because, I mean, the web and browsers are just so wild. Yeah. So yeah, definitely had some positive reactions. Yeah, and I love where you can kind of add your own script and make a new button just (laughs) pretty simply. You know, I'm sure a lot of folks out there have their own scripts and, you know, they're running them from wherever they are. Now they could just run them from inside Zap, I guess. Yeah, it's a fantastic feature. So Zap has this built-in idea of scripts. And so you can write your own code, whether it's in JavaScript, the few language support, I think Python, Java, mm-hmm. and you can hook into the various parts of Zap or you can just run your code. And this feature is already built into Zap itself, but we've exposed that right. to the heads-up display so that within just a few minutes, you can kind of copy and paste a few things, change a few fields. And whatever your custom script was, you'll now have a button for that in your browser on top of the application you're testing. So I think that's like a great use case for I mean, QA or dev where, you're, oh, for my QA script, you know, I kind of do this, this, and this. Right. Well, great. We'll run those tools, put in a button, and just simplify this process. Mm-hmm. And how would you recommend for folks out there to get involved in the open source community? That's a great question. If you're into application security, I mean, there's no better resource than OWASP. You can look for the OWASP project page and find a project that interests you. What I found surprising from going from not being involved in these projects to being involved is by how few people manage to maintain these things and how big of an impact you can have. Mm-hmm. With something with the Zap, I mean, it was the tool I learned a lot of application security concepts through. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of assumed, like, oh man, it's this tool, like it's using, it's got all these features, like must be this big group and that must be, you know, crazy smart people. It's like, I, I probably wouldn't be able to help out too much. Mm. And you get in there and it's, you know, there's a strong community around it, but when it comes down to the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's three or four people who are working on it really, really hard. Right. And it's neat to see that you can go in there and just make a big impact on a project like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of need for help, but people don't maybe grasp that or just like you said, basically underestimate the need for additional help in the open source community. That and I think people underestimate what they're able to contribute. Oh, okay. Because at the end of all of my talks, they say, please come help us. Right. I taught myself like JavaScript dev working on this project. Like I guarantee you, if you've done any JavaScript dev, you can probably do a lot better than this. Yeah. And, but even then you people say, oh, you know, it'd be cool to help. I mean, you guys, it's like, well, no, like any small amount you can contribute. I'm sure someone will be able to help with. So for anyone who's listening and thinking, you know, ah, oh, well, I probably can't do it. And, or maybe it's too much of a time drain. Just reach out to a project that you like or start searching through concepts that you're interested in, whether it's outside of application security and try to find an open source project that you'd want to contribute to. Though any good project owner will never say no to free help. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a great way to get in, right? There is that, you know, catch 22 of not having experience. Yeah. Well, here you go, right? I think it's a fantastic way to get in. One, for the experience, learning about the project. Two, writing code on these projects. And now you have this like project on your resume, which is hugely powerful. But then three, and I think it's most important, I kind of alluded to earlier, is the networking aspect of it. The people who work on these projects, 
tend to be pretty smart and know other people in the community. I mean, if they're maintaining these things, you know, to some degree by themselves or, you know, with a few other people, great people know. And that's honestly how I've met so many people in this industry is through that. And I would even say too, if even if you don't feel like you have this technical or coding background, currently on the Heads Up Display project, we have someone who's trying to get into InfoSec and she wants to help us write documentation. Hmm. And that is the most thankless but most needed job in so many fields of security and development. Like there's never enough documentation and that is definitely one of our big pitfalls. And so that's another great way just to learn how it works. Meet these people, even if you don't necessarily think you've got the development chops. Yeah, that's great. There's so many avenues to help. And at the end of the day, you're still helping people. So yeah, it's giving back, right? So there's that number four altruism, right? Kind of giving back and right. feeling good about helping out the community. Right. And having your name on some documentation, there will be a lot of people who see those documents and you'll get <laughs> a, a lot of thanks for them. It's a great way to get your name out there. And specifically, how does someone check? I mean, I know, but like maybe in your words, like how does someone know that they need help? Do they check the issues page, mm. you know, in GitHub or whatever it is? I mean, GitHub is the most popular. So in GitHub, you know, mechanically, how does one actually go about finding what needs to what needs to be worked on? I definitely can start looking at GitHub issues. Mm -hmm. But I'd say just from my limited experience, I mean, every single project needs help. Okay. There's very few projects where someone's like, oh, nope, I got it all done and I get all the things I want. Like, no, there's always that visions for future ideas, features, uh, bug fixes, any other thing. So for me personally, I found people just reaching out to me be the most helpful. So whether there's like a Slack community, there's an OWASP Slack group, mm -hmm. or reaching out to someone on Twitter, or getting their email, or going to the GitHub and reaching out to them there, or finding an issue and tagging yourself on it, or opening an issue, maybe if you have a feature idea. Maybe there are no issues listed that you think that you'd want to help fix or build. Open up a new one for an idea you might have. In most cases, I can't imagine anyone not wanting someone like that to come work with them. Okay, awesome. So any parting advice for those trying to get into the industry? I would definitely say don't underestimate yourself. I, know I personally have had like a lot of trouble with like the imposter syndrome aspect of it. I like working on all these projects and you know, there's like days, it feels like you're on the nail, right? It feels like you're cruising and you're learning all these things. And there's days where it's just like, oh my God, everyone here knows so much more than me which is awesome because you get to learn a lot, but it's just like, it can be so deflating sometimes. Hmm. And I think the best way to fight through that is just, you know, one day at a time, one step at a time and keep pushing towards it and trying not to underestimate yourself. I would say additionally, I mean, get involved with the community as much as you can. Even if you go to a few talks and, you know, maybe sit in the back for a little bit if you're feeling nervous. Any open source, there's meetups in most major cities whatever you're interested in so go to meetups meet people that way and i harped on it and i'll harp on it again find an open source project of something you're interested in that has for sure gotten me where i am today so i'd recommend that to anyone awesome well david it's been a pleasure talking and uh look forward to talking again in the future thank you very much it's been a pleasure to be on all right thanks yeah bye